presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Well, hello, it's Pastor Adam again. And uh, what we're going to be doing here is I'm, I'm going to be focusing on G- Jesus's final trip to Jerusalem that's recorded for us in the book of Luke. We're going to be going through a lot of the book of Luke. Um, and it's probably going to take me four to six recordings, I'm thinking. I don't know. We'll see. But it's going to be a few of them. And it's kind of like we're going to have a series or a mini series, if you will. And this this journey we're going to go through is is in the book of Luke, starting in Luke chapter nine, verse fifty one. It's it it begins Jesus's final journey to Jerusalem, and it's he's leaving Galilee, um, and it ends with Jesus entering Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday of just a few days before he's crucified, uh, and that is Luke nineteen verse twenty seven. So, yeah, I'm going to be talking about a lot of the things that went on there, but. Before we get going, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we are so excited to get into this, and we thank you for what you're doing today, wherever we're at. We also uh, need to admit to you the things where we've fallen short and ask for your forgiveness uh, and mercy, and we thank you for your grace and for your son and the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ so that we could have fellowship with you eternally. So we thank you, Father. In oh, so many ways, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we come to you. Amen. So um, I'm gonna, I titled this today, Another Exodus, and that'll make a little sense once we get into this. Um, but it's during this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem that Jesus tells many parables, along with multiple teaching moments that we're going to review. And Many, if not most, of Jesus' parables, parables were, in, were intended not as, you know, general morality tales, but as particular pronouncements of coming judgment and change. And during this entire journey, Jesus is warning the Jewish people and he's warning Jerusalem to repent and to accept its new king, Jesus, or else fall under the condemnation of God. Now, these parables and these teachings are the real meat of life kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about and sharing. And there is enormous fruit for us. There's an enormous benefit to apply what Jesus shares to our everyday way of living. And I want to encourage each one of us over the next few weeks, you know, starting with hopefully today when you're hearing this, to read about Jesus's final journey toward Jerusalem that's recorded in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 51 till Luke chapter 19, verse 27. And I think if you have this, you know, fresh in your mind, it's going to really, you know, minister to you. And, And I can't promise, folks, that I will review all of the parables and teachings, but, and I also want you to know up front that at times I will not be going in direct order as they're laid out in the book of Luke, but there is enormous benefit for us to read these scriptures and to review this, so please do. So 
We're going to begin by looking at Jesus's warning about preparing for his coming, or it could be called watchfulness, this watchfulness theme that he's going to be talking about a lot on this journey. Now, what I'm starting with today is it's discussed, Jesus is talking about this in Luke chapter 12. So in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 30, going from verses 35 to 40, this is what Jesus says. He says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Okay, so... Here we find Jesus speaking of a period of waiting that is accompanied by being ready for immediate action when he returns, when the Lord returns. Now, I don't know about you, but (laughs) is there anyone out there that can identify with me in my annoyance with waiting, especially when it's prolonged awaiting someone's arrival? You know, like you expect somebody to come, maybe it's a family member, you know, but, oh gosh, I just, uh, I don't know. But I, I, I don't know if you can relate to that or if it's just me, but man, I just, uh, like for instance, for me, I remember sometimes when we'd be, you know, getting ready and going to be going to church or I don't know. I just like, I'd be like in a mental myth, if you will, uh, sitting in the car you know, waiting for Candace or the kids um, or, oh gosh, that used to, you know, get me in a wrong frame of mind. I mean, I think some wives can maybe get upset waiting for their husbands to, you know, say they were going to come home at a certain time and they didn't come home. I mean, especially if, you know, they had made a dinner and it's just, you know, ready and it, now it's got to stay in the oven or it gets a little overcooked or it's getting on the table, gets cold. I mean, how about all of us when we go to the airport and you have a weather delay, you know? Or I mean, here's the real thing, I think, with our current culture in America or the Western culture as a whole. It's not inclined to wait. I mean, just process, you know, think about how many fast food restaurants there are just in the main streets in your area, you know, whatever city you're in, as compared with those which cook food, you know, the slow old fashioned way. You know, credit cards have have a, a great appeal to us because we can buy the things we want without having to wait till we have enough money to do so. And then, you know, going back, you know, 50, 60 years to the 1960s, the sexual revolution also has given our society convenient philosophical rational rationale for not waiting for sexual enjoyment within marriage. We just Everybody hooks up, you know, and does it whenever. And that's been going on for decades. So when you think of the Bible, waiting is is one of the things which men and women of faith are called upon to do. 
I mean, all of those named in the hall of faith, you know, the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 had to wait for the promised blessings of God. Jesus calls upon his disciples to wait. For although he will return to the earth to rule over it as Messiah, we're not told when that will be, so we wait. So this text we just read, right, in chapter 12 of Luke, implies that there will be a wait. And and remember now, don't forget this, Jesus is talking to the Jews, so this should bring reference to something the Jews already knew from their history or should have known from their history. And what Jesus was referring to was the Exodus. Okay, so so I'm calling this another Exodus. And see, as we continue to dialogue and go through this, don't forget that original Exodus as kind of a filter from a Jewish perspective that Jesus is talking to when we read what we're going to read or dialogue about this to go through that original Exodus filter. In other words, the Jews and specifically the disciples are hereby put on notice because they already knew this. Now, there are two, I think, different scenarios that are touched on in this parable. At least that's the way I see it. There's two of them. One is the picture of servants waiting on their Lord. In this scenario, there is a positive relationship between the servant waiting watchfully for the Lord. It's like a reciprocal affection and interest in both parties performing their assignment. I mean, we could even say they're in a faithful covenant. And then I think the second scenario we have is this master is surprised by a thief. Now, that's a picture of an antagonistic relationship. I mean, one in which the master of the house would rather the other party stay away because in the end it turns out bad. I mean, that's the way it is when a thief comes, right? And this is not a mixed metaphor, but rather Jesus is giving two perspectives on the same event that will happen in the future. Aha. So, you know, this is what will happen. Jesus exhorts the disciples to be ready. And if they are ready, they shall be rewarded by being served by him. Remember that Jesus had already taught them that in seeking his kingdom first, the father would be pleased to give them the kingdom. This is, this is now in Luke chapter 12 is an expansion or a continuation on that same teaching or on that same theme that Jesus had been talking about in the Gospels. Now, the second perspective shows us that there are those who would not be faithfully waiting on the Lord. Now, now this is a, a very big point, a huge point, if you will, right here. Jesus is pointing out that there will be people that think of themselves as master of the house, right? But that's a huge mistake. See, those that think that way aren't looking at this properly because they are not the master or owner of anything, but they're only the steward of the house. In other words, folks, like, because if we live like that, then we will have no expectation of anyone coming soon because we act like we own it. In other words, they did not watch and wait for the Lord because they took ownership of the house for granted. Just process that for a moment. Just process that. Let that just sit there a little bit so that you grasp what's going on there. Okay? So therefore, the coming of the Lord to someone who processes like that would be unexpected 
and frankly, even an unwanted event like the visitation of a thief. Those, these kind of folks, these unfaithful, selfish house sitters would be disposed, dispossessed by the thief. Now, what's interesting is just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 11, Jesus had already taught this lesson. So a huge takeaway we should get from this as we're, are, is that we're required to wait. <laughs> now, that just might not sit well with any of us. I know that, like, that's just to me like a very, like, aha moment. That's a takeaway that Jesus is teaching, that we're required to wait. And since we must wait, we had better learn how to wait properly. All right? So that is just some of the initial breakdown of part of what's going on in this parable. But there's more. There's much more. And as we're going on here, then Peter seems pretty keen. We're going to find Peter seems pretty keen here. He seems to be putting two and two together. Because right before this talk about preparing for Jesus's return and staying watchful, Jesus had been talking privately with the disciples and not to the very large crowd that had been gathering. Jesus, and and right before this in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, he was talking about worry. So he talks to them about worry. Then he gives them this parable. So right after this, Peter wants to be sure now. So Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? So as with earlier episodes, when people ask Jesus the who, like, right, who is this for? What does Jesus do? But he responds with another parable. So let's continue on now. Luke chapter 12, picking it up in verses 41 through 48, picking up verse 41. And this is where we had, okay, so Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Oh, whoa. Okay, let's break this down. So first off, how how this answers Peter's question is not very obvious. In in typical Jesus fashion, he does not give a clear answer to the question Peter asked about who is this for? Is it for us, for the disciples, or for the crowd? Rather, Jesus shows how, in a way, it's both. In other words, 
This parable applies to all of us, of course, but it applies to each one of us differently depending upon what we've been given, what we've been blessed with by the Lord. See, specifically, if we have been given like revelation with faith, or this could be determined revelation with no faith, or a third option, no revelation with no faith. So Peter then should know that this very explanation given by Jesus is further revelation in itself, which is intended for Jesus's disciples, not those who would not understand. It's like Jesus was saying, hey, Peter, you choose today how you will prepare for my coming. So two things are for certain here in Jesus's expansion of this teaching. The first one is some would-be servants would be judged with the unbelievers. That's what verse 46 is saying. Just let me say that again. Some would-be servants would be judged with the unbelievers, okay? This is one thing we know for sure. The other is the faithful servants would be made rulers over the entire household. That's verse 44. Now, Wow, let's, uh, let's consider those who are to be judged according to what Jesus says here. This is the first group that will be judged with the unbelievers, he says. They are called servants, the, okay? But it's clear they're not among the faithful and wise servants spoken of in verses 42 and 44. There, there's a clear division Jesus is showing here. Much like I think we read in scripture all the time between sheep and goats. Jesus is declaring that these types of servants have a motivation for their wickedness, which is their unbelief in the master's soon return. Because in this parable, Jesus says, when they say, my master delays in coming. They, they believe he will come someday, but not for a long time, at least not soon which leaves them unconcerned about their immediate state. And I'm telling you, people, we have got to pay careful attention here to this. See, based on their self-assurance, they are slack in their morals. What did they say? They beat the other boy and girl servants and they eat and drink to indulgence. I mean, folks, if you're one who reads the Bible and are familiar with scriptures, you have seen those two themes emphasized before, right? The persecution of the children of God and the indulgence in worldly luxuries. Both, both of those are sins of the great whore, Jerusalem, mentioned in Revelation 17 and 18. That very same theme of relaxing and self-assured luxury has appeared probably within the last hour in Jesus's parable of the rich fool that he gave in Luke 12, verse 19. He says, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus had just spoken about this. For this wicked servant, the Lord would return like a thief in the night right? How does a thief in a night return? Unexpectedly and with the intent of taking his possessions from the, the landowner. And the judgment would be to be cast out like the unbelievers if that's how the servant is acting. <laughs> wow. I mean, I hope this is like making sense. I hope 
you know, and if you if you're not getting what I'm saying, please pause this, go back. Look at this these scriptures. See that theme. Okay, now the next is the unbelievers mentioned here refer to the Gentiles. Those who did not have the level of revelation to which Israel had been privileged. Yet the wicked servant, though his refusal to accept Jesus' testimony would be counted and judged as a Gentile. That theme that we, right, the great whore, Jerusalem, had sinned with all the Gentiles and would be judged just like a Gentile. But please don't miss this. And it's that Jesus points out that this is really the worst situation of all. What's the worst situation? The servant who actually had revelation would receive a worse punishment than those who had no revelation. Jesus teaches this immediately following. He said, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's what he said there in Luke chapter 12, 47 and 48. Now, now this servant who knew his master's will but did not obey is unbelieving Israel. That's what Jesus is doing on this last journey. He's constantly reminding the Jews this is their situation unless they repent. Remember, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, as the Apostle Paul shared in the book of Romans, and yet they rejected the very one to whom these oracles pointed, right? Jesus had come and was now predicting his soon return in judgment, and yet while even staring him in the face, these wicked Jews said in their hearts, my master delays in coming. And it's for this very reason they would feel the judgment. So I hope I'm not confusing anyone. I hope this is making sense. Again, go back, listen to it, pause it, stop it, wherever you need to, get out your scriptures, check it out. What Jesus said is a servant's master has gone for some period of time and the servant is convinced that it will be a considerable time before the master returns. The servant is a steward. He's been given charge over both men and women servants in the master's home. So the servant therefore decides to use his master's possessions for his own pleasure rather than to use them as he was commanded to do. He indulges on the food and drink, consuming the supplies that were meant for others, while at the same time, he abuses the servants under his authority. That person, Jesus said, would be cut into pieces and would be assigned to a place with unbelievers. Jesus also concludes by laying down the principle that judgment is meted out in proportion to the knowledge which one has received and rejected. I mean, it makes me think of Stephen, right? Facing trial and death at the hands of those wicked servants, right? This is how Stephen could say this to them, recorded in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 53. Stephen said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
And they, they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. <sighs> yeah, I mean, yet these wicked servants who had been given much clearly knew their master's will and yet did not keep it. Now, on the, on the other hand, the Gentiles, many of you whom have committed the same sins, but without the privilege of having God's oracles, they, according to Jesus, are going to receive a lighter punishment. So, I mean, that's just very sobering. But I just want to, let's not miss the point here. The faithful servants would not only receive Christ's blessings, but would oversee the entire household and all that the master possessed. The nature of that reward is absolutely astounding. Folks, this is saying, Jesus is saying, those servants who are found waiting for the master the right way will be blessed by the master serving them. That's what I'm getting. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it seems inconsistent with Jesus's role in his second coming. Serving seems to be a contradiction to leading. To act as a servant seems inconsistent with being the master. But folks, this is a key area where we got to renew our minds. Serving is an honorable task. Jesus came to serve. He showed us. He washed the feet. And therefore, we should surely see serving as honorable and desirable. The problem, sadly, and displayed by too many a church culture and a church leader, is in our culture, serving is a demeaning task, one which many people shun. Jesus elevated service to a function of great privilege and honor. And furthermore, leading is not a contradiction to serving, but a form of serving. Some view leadership as an opportunity for others to serve them. But the scriptures speak of leadership in the kingdom of God as a form of service. That's why our Lord can both lead and serve at the same time. Or should we say that he can lead by serving? That's what many of us need to let marinate in our souls and in our flesh. Because the spirit wants us to do that, but our flesh is weak. See, the Lord serves his servants at the second coming is in no way inconsistent with his coming to rule. Because serving is not opposed to honor or to leadership. It is something which Jesus will do in his second coming, just as he came to serve at his first coming. Many acknowledge that Jesus came to serve in his first coming, but they think that his resurrection and ascension terminated that. You know, Jesus came to suffer and die, a function we would acknowledge to be painful. He will no longer suffer or die. He came to be rejected by men. But when he returns, all are going to acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus is telling us here in this text today in Luke chapter 12, that his service, which began in his first coming, will persist in his second coming. It does not end and neither should ours. And I mean, why should it? If it's an honorable task and one that is consistent with leadership, it will be something you and I 
are to emulate now and every day. Here's a lesson for us. It is not demeaning for our Lord to serve. Then surely it is not to be viewed as demeaning to you and I. In fact, it is our glory. Some of us look at serving as the unpleasant path to glory, but our Lord's words strongly employ that serving is our glory. This is the theme of the kingdom inheritance referenced repeatedly in the Gospels. Man, wow, that's a lot of good stuff there. Okay, so we started this with Jesus saying in this parable that the faithful servants will have their loins girded and their lamps burning. The girded loins idea here is a direct reference to the exodus from Egypt, right? In the Hebrews past, right? For Passover, have everything ready to go. Not only were the Israelites instructed at the original Passover to eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, but Luke uses the exact same Greek words as the Greek Old Testament did and called the Septuagint. These words in these forms only appear in these two places in Scripture, Exodus 12, 11 and Luke chapter 12, verse 35. I think it's crystal clear then that this is a conscious adaptation, adaption, if you will, of the Exodus theme, and the theolog- theology, I think, fits perfectly. In fact, the Passover at which Jesus would be killed, right, because he's the Passover lamb, was only a a few weeks away as he's beginning this journey from uh, this Lake of Galilee, Gennesaret, to Jerusalem. Jesus' blood was about to affect both the salvation of his faithful followers and the great judgment that would befall the faithless persecutor of those children. I mean, remember in the original Exodus, Pharaoh held the Israelites under persecution. Now in this scenario, Jesus is showing how unfaithful Israel had become the Pharaoh. Jesus would soon return to the Exodus theme to the extent that it was replayed in Noah and Lot. In a, in down, looking down the road here a little bit, in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 32, Jesus teaches this. He says, here it is, Luke 17, starting with verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Okay, so these are, he's playing on these Old Testament themes. Jesus is, right? Here are the familiar themes. An immoral and carefree people ignoring the announcements of coming judgment, right? They're eating, drinking, and were merry until the judgment fell. But then it's too late. I mean, considering the amount of warning, by the way, it's not so much that the coming was unexpected, but that the faith, faithless were unprepared. This is always the theme. Plenty of warning is given, but all is ignored. 
Meanwhile, the faithful are prepared, ready for the time to come. To come, Their loins are girded, their lamps are lit, and in each case, they safely escape the wrath absorbed by the others. In Noah's case, it was via the ark. In Lot's case, it required a little, literal exodus, right? And so here we are reading about what things were like for Jesus' disciples. It's the very same theme. They had to be prepared to leave directly from the housetop with no stopping or gathering possessions, right? Don't be like Lot's wife and look back for your stuff. That's the warning. She was not fit for the kingdom of God, which has a direct tie-in with Jesus' teaching this very lesson at the outset of his final journey to Jerusalem, right? When he ends Luke 9 with this. This is how Luke chapter 9 ends. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Do you see this just incredible tie-in? It's like there's a thread weaving through this tapestry, through this article of clothing, if you will, through this book. He's, he's a, in this parable, Jesus is alerting his disciples to be ready for another exodus a full exodus of Christ's body out of symbolic Egypt, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the new Egypt. The blood of Jesus would protect them, but those who did not have the covering, indeed, who, who had rejected it, and in fact themselves shed that blood, would suffer under the judgment to come. And just as in the original exodus, God promised to execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And so... God would now judge symbolic Egypt, which is Jerusalem, for her many idolatries. But the disciples would be ready. They were watchful for the signs that would mean get out of Jerusalem now. The lamp image in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, serves the purpose of someone so firmly expecting their Lord's immediate return that they stay up all night. Here it'd be like this light shining in the darkness, but not so much to broadcast to the world, but as a means of remaining awake and watchful personally amidst all the darkness around you. That's the same issue at the heart of the later parable of the 10 virgins. They all had lamps that could burn, but only five were prepared with the oil. Only five had light. And as a result, the five who had oil were prepared at the call of the bridegroom's coming. He came at midnight, just as the Passover plague came at midnight. And while all of them had slumbered and were sleeping, it was only the foolish versions who were caught unprepared with no oil for their lamps. They were children of darkness. And when they finally arrived at the wedding to which they had long ago been invited, the answer came from behind a locked door, I do not know you. They'd missed their opportunity not having their lamps lit. They lost all future inheritance and were left no better than adulterers as far as that particular bridegroom was concerned. People, you've got to hear this and, and, and get this. This is how it will be for the Jews and those today who are not prepared. They had taken their calling for granted. Now they would find themselves left in the streets. It is clear then that the thief in the night metaphor pertains only to the wicked servants. The faithful servants would inherit the kingdom. The thief would only strike those who were unprepared. Thieves, I mean, after all, normally don't come around where the lights are on. 
right? They call where it's dark. Now, I know there is much to ponder about what was shared today. One thing I don't want us to do is to forget to keep praying, keep praying to love humanity like Jesus loves humanity. God has given us the most sacred gift, which is the freedom to choose, but God doesn't give us the privilege of determining a different outcome to what the choice will entail. In other words, folks, the consequences we receive are bound to the choices we make. And if this is awakening you from a slumber, well, hallelujah, praise the Lord and amen. Never forget that our responsibility as the church is the privilege we have been given to love and be salt and light, and only God can change the heart of a person, and God is the ultimate judge. Whew, okay, well, this is, this is it for the first phase of this book of Luke. I hope it inspires you, and God bless you. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.